the Did You Hear podcast, part of the Blue Wire Hustle podcast network. We are seven days away from April 1st, which is opening day of the 2021 Major League Baseball regular season. I will spend each day in March previewing all 30 Major League teams in alphabetical order. So, today's March 25th, and I continue on with the New York Mets. One week. That's it before opening day. Rosters are being set. Lineups are being set. Cuts are being made. And these teams are starting to get finalized. I couldn't be more excited. And we've got a really nice stretch of teams rounding us out in this 30 teams in 30 days. But let's focus on the Mets today. As usual, I'll go through history, offseason wrap-up, a preview and positional breakdown of all the positions, starting pitching, relief pitching, bench, prospects before I end with Pakoda and my philosophy on the team. Finally, for the first time in for real about 15 years, but the last time the Mets made it to the World Series was 2015, the Yankees have some competition in New York in that Subway Series for the next, I will go on to say, six or seven years, if not longer, is going to be really intense. And when the Mets are good, I've said it before on the Did You Hear podcast, when the Mets are good, baseball is good. It just makes baseball better, just like when the Knicks are good, the NBA is better. So let's get right into the Mets. Since they lost to the Royals in the World Series back in 2015, they have had three out of four losing season. So I'll start up with 2017. They went 70 and 92. 2018, 77 and 85. 2019, they did have a winning record, 86 and 76. And in 2020, they finished 26 and 34. So no playoff bursts in that span. Then they went out this year and billionaire Stephen Cohen is now the majority owner of the New York Mets. He might not be able to buy this team wins, but he is doing absolutely everything in his power to make sure this team wins. And I've said it before, I'll say it again confidently. I think if the Mets can sign Francisco Lindor to an extension at some point early this season, the Mets will wrap up one of the greatest off-seasons in the history of baseball. And I will explain my reasoning by wrapping up what they did this winter. So I'll start with departures because there were a lot of them. Ahmed Rosario and Andres Jimenez went over to Cleveland in the trade for Francisco Lindor and Carlos Carrasco. They also lost starting pitching depth Rick Porcello and Michael Walker and Steven Matz. Again, those guys aren't headliners anymore, but still necessary depth that the Mets have counted on in years past. And they also lost their their franchise catcher, Wilson Ramos, who has really declined in recent years. But to offset some of those losses, let me tell you who the Mets signed this winter. Of course, they brought on Francisco Lindor and Carlos Carrasco from the Indians. They also brought on Taiwan Walker, a late free agent signing for them that helps that starting pitching depth. The Yankees brought, uh, excuse me, the Mets brought on two center fielders in Kevin Pillar and Albert Amora Jr. They also replaced Wilson Ramos and they picked up James McCann. They also picked up bullpen pieces Trevor May and Aaron Loop, starting pitcher Joey Lucchese, utility infielder Jonathan Villar, and another starting pitcher from the Marlins, Jordan Yamamoto. Those names 
I'm sure the average fan knows the majority of them because there are some really high-profile ones in there. Even the names that aren't as eye-catching still just compound the idea that Mets that the Mets had one of the best off-seasons in the history of the game. The holes that they had, the Mets went out and upgraded nearly every single position. And they are not my pick to make it to the World Series out of the National League next year. They might not even be my pick to make the World Series in 2022. But Steve Cohen has such a clear three to five year plan that it's going to be hard to count out the Mets in the future. So let's get right into it with these position breakdowns. In 2020, there definitely were offensive bright spots for the Mets. Their starting pitching depth wasn't there. Again, they got hit by the injury bug. It seems to always happen with New York teams, really. But the team posted its best OPS plus in team history, and they're bringing back all those hitters in 2021, plus adding some even bigger ones. So at catcher, you replace Wilson Ramos with James McCann, who signed to a four-year, $40 million contract. I think in the future, he could really cement himself as one of the best catchers in the game, along with Will Smith over on the Dodgers, JT Realmuto over in a division rival Philly. So James McCann, if he can continue boosting those offensive numbers, he's right along there with them. Yasmani Grandal is up there too. First base, a guy who does not have to worry about maintaining his offensive status, it's Pete Alonso. Of course, he broke records in 2019, 53 home runs. He was the rookie of the year. He won the home run derby. Polar Bear Pete, he is just as valuable to this team on the field as he is in the locker room. His presence is just so charming. Now you've got him with Francisco Lindor. The Mets might take away the award for potentially the most likable team in the league. Pete Alonso, he's also gotten better defensively, which is incredibly important, and that's why he's going to be the everyday first baseman for the Mets. Second base, you will most likely see Jeff McNeil here. Of course, I say most likely because he is so versatile that you could see him in the outfield a lot. You could see him at third base sometimes, but I think on opening day, he'll be at second because of a few additions that the Mets made and also slotting J.D. Davis at third. But Jeff McNeil, he is the epitome of of a pure hitter. I don't think he's in DJ LeMahieu's category, but he's the same type of hitter. He gets on base in his three-year career. He's never had an on-base percentage under 381. He's never had a batting average under 311, and he's never had an OPS plus under 129. That's nearly 30 points above average in every single category. He doesn't prolong at bats. He's one of the best pitch, uh, excuse me, one of the best hitters in the league at getting out early, getting on base, swinging at the first pitch, keeping the defense on their toes, and having him towards the top of this lineup definitely makes this New York lineup much better. Now the aforementioned third baseman, J.D. Davis, he is subpar defensively, and that's why for a lot of the offseason you heard some third baseman linked to New York because While J.D. Davis has also seen time in outfield, he was kind of thrust into that position. Infield is his primary role, but third base definitely isn't it. So if he doesn't perform defensively, there are some bench players that could go after his spot. That being said, I think he'll do well enough offensively that he'll stay. And the crazy thing about how talented this Mets lineup is this year is that J.D. Davis will most likely be the seven hitter. 
Over a three-year span, Davis's OPS is 797. If he hits in the seven spot, the National League's seven hitters last year averaged a 695 OPS. So J.D. Davis is well above average in that category. He's well, he's way better than a lot of the other seven hitters across the National League, and that's important. That's creating a well-balanced lineup, and the Mets can exploit weaknesses on this other team in the bottom of their lineup. And then, of course, shortstop. I could spend five minutes going through numbers. Pat and I have absolutely gushed about Lindor on our regular podcast, so make sure to check some of those episodes out. The most value he brings is that he's a franchise star. He's a switch hitter and an otherwise pretty lefty-dominant lineup. Over the last four seasons, shortstop, the shortstop position, has cost the Mets 62 runs. Francisco Lindor over the past four seasons, he's 33 runs better than average. So that's not over a 90, it's actually a 95 run swing. He he makes them better defensively. He gives them 30 plus home runs and 20 plus stolen bases. That makes them better offensively. He's so charming. He has one of the best personalities in baseball. That makes them more likable. It's everything. And I truly don't think that Steve Cohen and the Mets would have gone after Lindor if they didn't have long-term plans to sign him to an extension. Because Francisco Lindor isn't the type of guy that you have on your team for one season. Not, Not even close. It is essential that the Mets lock him up because their future plans look a lot different if Lindor isn't on this team. So now let's go to the outfielder. Dom Smith is going to be your starting left fielder on opening day. He really had a breakout 2020. Dom Smith deserves a lot of credit. He had basically the same amount of plate appearances in 2019 and in 2020, but last year he had 20 more RBIs. His slugging percentage was up by 90. His OPS was up by over 110. So he really found his groove. And unfortunately for the Mets, unfortunately for the league, I've made my stance on this pretty clear. The no universal DH does hurt the Mets in the National League because Dom Smith was seeing the majority of time at DH. Now he has to go to left field. Again, you have to... You're, you're at a bit of a disadvantage because you could have put a really good defensive guy like Pilar or Almora in and had Dom Smith DH. Now that you can't do that, it's not that Dom Smith's bad in left field, but hitting is definitely his strength. And I'm excited to see how he continues to progress in 2021. He was a, an MVP candidate in 2020. He did get some MVP votes. So very well deserved. I think he's a really, really good player that'll continue to shine in New York. Center field, another subpar defensive guy that will find his way in this lineup because of his speed, because of his leadoff ability, and because of the way he just finds ways to get on base. It's Brandon Nimmo. Like I said, he gets on base more frequently than any other Met, and he's one of New York's three best hitters against righties. So there are a couple of platoon options to think about between Nimmo, Pilar, and Almora, potentially even Jonathan VR, but Brandon Nimmo does very well against right-handed hitters. And I think that earns him a spot, especially because that's what leadoff, that's what coaches like to see in leadoff hitters. All see all offseason long, I actually have a bone to pick with Mets fans because all offseason long, no matter how many pieces the Mets continued to bring in, no matter how many pieces they added to their bullpen, no matter how many starting pitchers they added, no matter how many 
bench options they added, another plus place that they were weak. The narrative was that it was a disappointing offseason because they didn't go out and sign George Springer. I don't, I don't think that could be any more wrong. And I think if Mets fans are thinking that, I truly think they're missing the point. Yes, the Mets could have gone out and signed one of the more elite fielders, definitely one of the most elite center fielders in the game in George Springer, and elevated their lineup and elevated their defense. But I think they took the smarter approach versus the trigger-happy uh, approach And they added depth in Pilar and Almora. They're hoping for a defensive rebound from Nimmo. But even if that doesn't happen, now they have the flexibility to extend Lindor. And to extend Michael Conforto, who I'll talk about in a a second. And keep DeGrom at the team for as long as possible. And maybe keep Marcus Stroman, or Taiwan Walker, or Norris Syndergaard. I think if if the Mets had gone out and signed Springer, they would have had less monetary flexibility and also we're talking about billionaire Steve Cohen so that might be being a little nitpicky at this point but I think Mets fans need to get out of their head that it was a disappointing offseason just because they didn't sign Springer because that is so missing the point and they still have some really nice options sure Brandon Nimmo might not be the starting center fielder that they envisioned at the end of the 2020 season but it's definitely not something to be disappointed over. And now that guy I mentioned, Michael Conforto, now they have the option and more so probably what's most likely going to happen to extend Michael Conforto, who besides 2016, he's never had an OPS plus below 122. 122. This is a guy to build around along with Lindor. And I think giving themselves the flexibility was exactly what they needed so that they could do that with Conforto. I mentioned a lot of the bench options. One of them, Albert Almora. He's never come along offensively, but he is very, very good defensively. Kevin Pillar, he actually last year had his career best OPS against lefties. So maybe you see more of Pillar in the outfield and in the lineup against left-handed pitchers. And against right-handed pitchers, you see more of Brandon Nimmo in the lineup and in center field. You also have Jonathan VR, who had a down 2020 season. He was between a few teams, but he was worth more than four wins above replacement in 2019 with the Orioles. I do not think this is a guy that will spend a lot of the season on the bench. I think he can be attractive trade chip at the deadline over the summer if he doesn't see time due to injuries or whatever happens this season. Other guys, Luis Guillorme, he's most notable this offseason for having a 22 pitch at bat in spring training. Unbelievable to watch. And then Tomas Nito, who will be the backup catcher to James McCann. So those are the positional battles. I think they're pretty much all set. There's just, you could see a bit of a difference in center field depending on whether the pitcher is righty or lefty. Talking about the pitchers, this team lives and dies by their ace, the best pitcher on the planet, Jacob deGrom. He won back-to-back Cy Youngs in 18 and 19. Before 2020, he threw three straight 200-plus inning seasons, which I think is uber valuable. The crazy thing, again, this is another guy that I could just spend 10 minutes going through all of the records that he's broken, but I need to... Talk about how valuable he is and how, honestly, the Mets haven't helped him in recent years. Because his record over the last three seasons, 
the best pitcher on the planet, 25 and 19. And it's because the Mets have been so subpar defensively that they haven't been able to put up offense when he pitches. I mean, the majority of his starts are quality starts, as in he throws six innings, gives up three earned runs or fewer. To match that, his ERA over the past three seasons is a 2.1. In 2018, the starkest example I could find of what I'm talking about, he was 10-9 and with a 1-7 ERA. I think finally... The Mets have the offense where when Jacob deGrom goes out there, you can finally say that it's going to definitely be a win. Maybe because Mets fans have been so traumatized in the past, they're never going to feel that confident. But man, give this guy some offense to work with because the Mets have been fishing for wins lately. And when Jacob deGrom is out there, that should be the one confident one they have. Because again, while I do think they made their starting pitching staff and their entire pitching staff much more reliable and durable this year, the injury bug always comes around. So behind him, it's a new face, Carlos Carrasco. When the Francisco Lindor deal was going on, he was obviously the the first and the biggest name that people saw. And then a few minutes later, it got released that Carlos Carrasco was involved in this deal, which is astounding for the Mets. Quite frankly, they stole him from the Indians because While he is 33 years old, he's an 11-year veteran. He survived leukemia. He is an incredible person and character among baseball. One of the best stories to watch as he continues to succeed on the field. But, I mean, in 2020, he had his career-best ERA+. He had a sub-3 ERA in just under 70 innings pitched. This guy isn't going anywhere as he gets older. He's averaged 10-plus strikeouts per nine innings since 2017. I think Carlos Carrasco, he's he's hurt right now, unfortunately, so he will start the season on the IL, and I think they're predicting that it could be up to a month on the IL, which really hurts. But again, if this guy's healthy for the majority of the season as they get, get into the postseason because this is one of the more competitive races to watch, competitive division races... They just need Carrasco healthy for when it matters, and they need him on the field for when it matters. But I think the Indians are going to truly regret parting ways with Carrasco because this guy is still making for a name for himself. So behind him, complete wildcard in Marcus Stroman, who accepted the qualifying offer in 2021. He opted out of 2020. So while he has put up good numbers before, again, being away for the game for extremely valid reasons, still, I, I mean, I talked about it with David Price and the Dodgers, it just inherently gives you a question mark. Behind them, another guy who's kind of a question mark, Taiwan Walker. The Mets picked him up late. I think he was on the free agent market for far too long based on talent. But talent isn't the only thing that goes into it. So he played well in Toronto, but before that, Injuries really plagued and almost derailed his career. Hopefully he comes back. And then this is where things get really interesting. While Tom, excuse me, while Noah Syndergaard is on the injured list because he's recovering from Tommy John surgery, he's not expected back until late summer. While he is recovering, there will be a very compelling battle for the fifth spot in the starting rotation for the Mets. Right now, it's between three guys, and then honestly, two of these guys could get the starting spot with Carlos Carrasco also on the IL, but those three guys are Joey Lucchese, Jordan Yamamoto, and David Peterson. I'll start off with David Peterson, who was with the organization last year. He had a 3-4-4 ERA 
and 123 ERA plus in just over 49 innings in his rookie season. So a very, very solid stat line. Again, an incredibly small sample size, but that's kind of what everybody was dealing with. David Peterson is somebody that the Mets have been high on for a while, and I think whether it's in the starting rotation or in the bullpen, he's still going to be a big piece of this team's future. So I think he is the third likeliest to get the fifth spot. The second likeliest is Jordan Yamamoto. He started for the Marlins last season. I remember when Yamamoto was traded, I thought it was a weird move for the Marlins to make because I talked in the past about how good their starting rotation can be, and Yamamoto, at I believe he's 24 or 25 years old, was their quote-unquote vet because their starting rotation is so young. He has good numbers. I think he is a nice option for the Mets to count on if they need him. So he's the second likeliest, and I believe right now, if opening day were to start in just a few hours, I think Joey Lucchese would be the fifth day starter for the Mets. He was acquired from San Diego back in January. In 2020, he threw just five innings. Nowhere near where he wanted to be after league average seasons in 18 and 19. So he's kind of just as much of a wild card as the other two guys, but I think he can be the most stable out of those three options. But again, Lucchese, they're also saying that Lucchese could be used in a opener situation. So you get a reliever like Dylan Betances or Seth Lugos when he's healthy, and then you put Joey Lucchese behind him as the bulk inning guy. He can go out there so he doesn't have to face the front of the lineup, or maybe he goes in and pitches one inning as the opener. The Mets are utilizing a lot of options, and I think this flexibility is good because they've dealt with so many injuries in the past that by the summer, they might not have three guys for one spot. So those are the guys to watch. Again, when Noah Syndergaard comes back, that'll be a huge sigh of relief if he's healthy. And I'll finish up with the relief pen quickly. The closer is Edwin Diaz. I personally am low on him. But I think I'm being a bit too critical because in 2018, he had a career year. He finished 8th in Cy Young voting, 18th in MVP voting, led the league in saves, had a sub-2 ERA. And then in 2019, just to go through his progression a bit, he had a 5.59 ERA. He had 25 less strikeouts than the year before, only 26 saves. Definitely a down year. It came from just a few really bad outings, unfortunately, but that's just the way that it is as a relief pitcher. And then in 2020, he certainly rebounded. 175 ERA, 251 ERA plus. His K weight, K rate went way up. His home run rate went way down, which is important to note. So I think we're going to see the 2020 version of Edwin Diaz versus the 2018 or the 2019 version. I think the 2018 version is too high at this point and the 2019 version is too low. Find somewhere in the middle, have him just adjust to that closer role so the Mets can have a lockdown option to go to in the ninth. It's nice having that closer, but again, the Mets had a very busy offseason to give themselves more option in that pen. So now they have Trevor May, who's been very successful. They have a recovering Dylan Batances, Dylan Batances, who's just trying to find his former form. In 2020, his walk rate was way up. His fastball velocity has dropped 
four miles per hour since 2018. So that's not encouraging. Seth Lugo also had elbow surgery, so he's expected to miss about six weeks. But you have newcomer Aaron Loop. So I think it'll be interesting for manager Rojas to experiment with all these different guys and for us to see which version of each player we'll see. And of course, it depends on health. Health is another X factor for the Yankee, for the Mets. Not as much as it was for the Yankees, but it's still very important that behind DeGrom, the Mets can put out some really quality starts from these pitchers. Quickly, the Mets have a very major league ready team and they have a very plentiful farm system. They have Five guys on MLB's top 100 prospects list, catcher Francisco Alvarez at number 48, shortstop Ronnie Mauricio at number 67. He's one of the best prospects in their system, but he's also playing short, and if they extend Francisco Lindor, that potentially makes him a trade piece and a very attractive one at that. Number 75, you have right-handed pitcher Matthew Allen, and at number 94, you have third baseman Brett Beatty. Another one I wanted to mention is that the Mets now have infield prospect Khalil Lee. He was acquired from Kansas City in the Andrew Benintendi, the three-way trade between Kansas City, Boston, and the Mets. That was one of the best young prospects in the Royals organization. And now he's over in New York developing in this system. Steve Cohen in his presser, which was a few months ago at this point, he emphasized the importance of growing homegrown talent. And I think sometimes in baseball that gets overlooked. One of the best executives in the game, Andrew Friedman, in the Dodgers, does it to a T. But it will be really important for the Mets, after having such an active offseason in Steve Cohen's first year, to sustain this success. So I think the two biggest things they need to worry about this season are signing Francisco Lindor and trying to finish second in the NL East race. Getting that wild card berth, I don't think they're good. They're good enough to beat the Braves, so I think the Braves will win the NL East. But I do think they are good enough, when completely healthy and when playing to expectations, to beat the Nationals and the Phillies and definitely the Marlins. So those are what the Mets really have to focus on. Again, the nice thing for them is that it's not World Series or bust in year one. Steve Cohen has, like I said, a three to five year direction where they can end up better than the Dodgers or the Padres and be in that World Series in 2023 or 2024. It doesn't have to be right now. Instead, they can continue to acquire trade picks or and dra- draft picks more generally so that if they do need a high-impact player, say, at third base or another hitter in this lineup, they have the prospects to go out and get a guy at the trade line, trade deadline. They can keep winning. They can continue to build and foster organizational harmony, which is something that the Mets lacked under the Wilpons. I think as a Mets fan, you should be incredibly excited. It has, Pakota has them at 92.6 wins. I'm going to go just over. I think they're in the 93 to 95 range. Again, we talk about that not being good enough to win a division. It's unbelievable. But the standard for some of these best teams in the league is 100 wins now. And I think the Yankees go over that. I think the Dodgers go over that. And the Braves are right there. So I've said it a lot. The NL East is the most compelling division race this season because four teams, and I'm honestly, I'm going to loop 
the Marlins in on this, all five teams could compete for a playoff spot. The Marlins are the least likely of that bunch, but they still have a lot of talent to work with. So the Mets just have to perform well this season, but also keep one eye on the future. Because again, while Steve Cohen might not be paying to win games with all the money, he's putting the right pieces in place that the Mets have a very exciting future to look for. And the NL East is going only going to get more and more competitive in the future. So that'll wrap up my season preview of the New York Mets. As always, make sure to check out the link in the bio of this episode for any previous season previews that you missed that were published on SoundCloud before I transitioned over to the Did You Hear podcast feed. So thank you for listening, and make sure to tune in tomorrow to an Oakland Athletics season preview.